Tonight we're in Psalm 4. Psalm 4. I want to read the entire psalm. It's only eight verses. I want to read through it very quickly. Before I do that, let me just remind you of the summary. Uh, it's there at the top of your notes. This comes from Dr. Kendall Easley. He was one of my seminary professors. And he has a book where he summarized in one or two sentences every book of the Bible. And this is his summary of the book of Psalms. How would you sum up what that book is about? Here it is. God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion, in personal or community life. That's a good summary of what this entire book is about. And you'll see some of these themes here in Psalm 4 tonight. So look what it says there. Psalm 4. To the choir master, with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Now, just a quick comment about stringed instruments. I've heard through the years in different church settings, uh, church members get upset when someone goes up to lead with a guitar. Pulling that guitar out, uh, stringed instruments. They're okay. Amen? They're okay. Okay. All right. All right. So, a psalm of David. Verse 1. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have... You've given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. But know, I love this verse, that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry. We'll talk some more about that word angry in a, in a few moments. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent, Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You've put more joy in my heart than when, when, they, have, when, than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in peace. Safety. Wonderful, wonderful psalm. Oh, one more other thing I meant to mention to you a little bit earlier. Uh, Pray for Frank, our associate pastor. He had double knee replacement surgery today. So uh, I meant to mention that to you before I prayed. Uh, But be praying for Frank. He's out today, obviously. And uh, he'll be uh, out for a couple days uh, in terms of the hospital end of it. Then he'll be back for the recovery process, the fun part. So just be praying for Frank. Double knee replacement. He said he just wanted to get it over with. So he got it over with. And now he's getting started. Surgery went well today, um, and everything went according to plan, but now it's the recovery time. So I asked Jerry Ann to send me quotes and videos of him saying crazy things under the influence of drugs. But anyway, all right. If I get anything good, I'll let you know. Okay, all right. Uh, psalm 4, wonderful, wonderful psalm, Psalm of David. And, and really, there's, there's much for us to learn in this psalm. There's, there, there's some teachable things in this psalm, and really teachable things for different types of people. Now, let me just say this. A lot of scholars believe that the one who organized the Psalter, which I mean all 150 chapters, they are in organization, in organi- they're in an organized pattern because there are five books, and they're put into five different books and put in different or certain orders. And we don't know who did that. We don't know what person took these 150 worship songs, hymns, and put them in this particular order. But scholars believe that whoever that person was put Psalm 3 and 4 together on purpose. Because Psalm 3 mentions uh, waking up in the morning, right? You wake up in the morning and you thank God for your good night's rest, that God sustained you through the night. So it's a kind of a morning expression 
of devotion to God, morning expression of praise to God that you made it through the night. And here in the fourth psalm, there are some things about going to bed at night. Verse 8, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And so this is, these are some thoughts of devotion to God, centering your thoughts on God before you actually get in bed for the evening. And so Psalm 3 is a morning prayer of trust in God, a morning prayer of confidence in God. Psalm 4 is an evening prayer of of confidence in God. As a matter of fact, your Bible may kind of break them down like that. Uh, but again, scholars believe that the editor of the Psalms put those two Psalms together on purpose. It's an interesting thought, and certainly we want to talk about that last verse and what it means that we have these evening prayers of devotion or evening thoughts of devotion. Now, there are different genres of the Psalms. By genres, I mean types of literature. Uh, some of them are, are just straight uh, praise songs meant to just express praise and adoration for God and His character and His uh, nature. Uh, Some of them are instructive psalms. Some of them are messianic psalms. They're about Jesus. Uh, Some of them are what they call songs of lament, uh, where you're lamenting the tough situation that you're in. You're grieving over the tough situation that you're in. Some are imprecatory psalms, and that's a fancy word that means you are praying for the demise of your enemies. And we'll talk about how to understand that as Christians when we get to imprecatory psalms. There are a lot of them in the Bible praying for the destruction of your enemies. So we'll talk about that when we, when we get there. And some are just psalms of confidence in, in God and what He's done for you. So there are different genres. Uh, you would probably sum up Psalm 4 with these two genres. There, it's, a, it's a psalm of lament as he deals with the distress that he's in. As a matter of fact, look what it says there in verse 1. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Uh, then it says there in verse 2, O long, oh men, how long shall my honor be turned to shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? So uh, David here is dealing with the fact that people are after him and saying malicious things about him. So this is it's a psalm of lament, but it's also a psalm of confidence because in the midst of his distress, David has confidence in God and trust in him in the midst of his hard times. So that's a little word about the genre. So, what do we learn from this psalm? What is there to learn from Psalm 4? Number one, we see here, and this is good stuff, an example of prayer. An example of prayer. I told you when we begin the study that we're going to learn a lot about prayer, that the psalms are meant to be prayed. And, and there's some really some principles of prayer found here in this text. So let me give you some examples. We see in David's prayer life, first of all, that there are different ways to address God. Different ways to address God. Look what it says there in verse 1. Answer me when I call. Look how it refers to God here. O God of my righteousness. O God of my righteousness. This is the only time that that title for God is used in the Bible. God of my righteousness. And it's a really cool phrase that speaks of the fact that because of God's grace in his life, because of his faith and trust in God, he was uh, made righteous by God, declared righteous by God. Not because he was good, but because God had given him righteousness as a gift. You might say it like this, David was an Old Testament saint. He was, he was born again. He was a believer. Now, what's the difference between Old Testament saints and New Testament saints? Were Old Testament saints saved differently than New Testament saints? The answer is no. Anyone that's ever been saved in the history of humanity has been saved by faith. This is over in Genesis 15. Abraham, Father Abraham, it says he 
believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So it's the faith in the Lord's promises related to redemption that causes you to be brought in by God's grace to a right standing with him. Okay, So Old Testament saints were saved by faith in looking forward to what God was going to do. God kept saying, I'm I'm going to send a Redeemer. He set up an entire sacrificial system to teach them that they were sinners, that, that, that innocent blood must be shed for the guilty. And these were sacrifices that were to be done by faith. They were looking forward to the ultimate Redeemer, the ultimate sacrifice, who is Jesus Christ. They were saved by faith in what God was going to do. You might say they were saved by faith in by looking forward to the cross. We're saved by faith in what God has done. We look back at the finished work of of the cross, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the finished work of Christ. We're saved by looking back. But just like Old Testament believers, we are saved by faith. And so David was a man of faith. And because of his faith, God gave him a right standing, a, a position of righteousness. That's what David means there. Oh, God of my righteousness. So, hey, teachable moment right here. You say, wait, sometimes when I pray, I run out of things to say. Or perhaps you find yourself praying and you keep calling God the same thing. Everybody ever, any guilty of that? Like, I've heard people pray for it. It's Lord, 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 Lord. Now, nothing wrong with using the term Lord. But it might help to make your prayer life more dynamic to call God something else that's biblical and right. Or I've heard people pray and it's, Father, 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 Father. Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who is in heaven. There's certainly nothing wrong with referring to God as Father. That's the way I enter into my prayer time. I call God Father. And so there's nothing wrong with that at all. And we ought to call God Father. We ought to call Him Lord. But, but it can enhance your prayer life to learn other titles for Him, to remind you of other aspects of His character and nature. So just try this. You ready? Next time you pray, won't you call Him? God of my righteousness, oh God of my righteousness, I come to you today. I'm so grateful that you have given me a right standing with you as a gift. I don't deserve it, but you've given it me based upon the finished work of Jesus. I'm so grateful that you are the God of my righteousness. See how that works? So just right there, just that one little phrase can really help make your prayer life more dynamic and more exciting uh, because you're giving yourself a biblical vocabulary with which to address God. That's not the only way he addresses God. He calls him, O God of my righteousness. And look what he says in verse uh, verse 6. He says, There are many who say who will show us some good. Then he prays to God here, Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Now, I've taught you this before, but whenever you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is the English rendering of, of the divine name of God, the name that he gave Moses at the burning bush, his personal name, if you will. Some people uh, pronounce it as Yahweh. It's the Hebrew consonants, the way it's given to us, Y-H-W-H, and we have to guess on the vowels because the vowels weren't in the original Hebrew text. They were put in later by the Masorites. And so we take Y-H-W-H, and we can kind of guess what, how you pronounce that. And some people put an A after the Y and an E after the W, and they pronounce it Yahweh. Anybody ever heard Yahweh? That's, that's a pronunciation of the divine name. The name, I am that I am, the name that he gave uh, Moses at the burning bush. The Latin version of that is Jehovah. You ever heard the t- term Jehovah as a Latin uh, rendering of 
what they believe the divine name would have sounded like. And so we don't know exactly what it sounds like. Could be Yahweh, could be a little bit different. But YHWH, YHWH is the divine name of God. It's a personal name, a covenant name. So when David uses this phrase, oh Lord, what he's saying is you're my God. I have a personal relationship with you. I'm in a covenant with you. You're not just some generic random God out there. You're a personal God, a God that has revealed yourself through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And so he uses the phrase here, O Lord, and he's again referring to the divine name. Now, whatever you see uh, in the Old Testament, you see L and then lowercase o-r-d. That's the Hebrew word Adonai. Adonai, which is a, a more general term for Lord. So just when you read through the Psalms, just look. You'll see sometimes you'll see Yahweh or, or divine name, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Sometimes you'll see capital L, then lowercase O-R-D, which is Adonai. And both of those are wonderful ways to refer to God, calling him Lord, calling him uh, uh, even uh, Yahweh, uh, calling him God. The, back to verse 1, when it says, God of my righteousness, the word God there is Elohim, just another Hebrew uh, term for God. And so learn to find titles for God, titles for Christ in the Bible, and then learn to incorporate those into your prayer life. I promise you, it will, it will really elevate your thoughts of God. It'll, it'll elevate your, your passion for the Lord as you remember all the, the different um, aspects of who God is uh, in your life. And so we learn from this title that there are, or from this psalm, that there are different ways to address God. Here's another prayer principle that we see. Prayer should be fervent. Prayer should be fervent. Notice the the fervency, the passion that David displays here in verse 1. He says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. And notice the the translators put an exclamation point there. They put in that grammar point. I think that's a well-placed exclamation point. I don't think that David is just kind of saying, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. He's in distress. And he's probably more like this. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. I mean, he needed some help, right? And he's praying here with fervency. And again, he's calling out to God, Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. He's probably not praying, Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. No, he's fervent. He's in distress. Be gracious to me. Hear my prayer, O God, O God of my righteousness. And so he's praying here with fervency. And and these aren't words that are rote memory type words or ritualistic type words. I think there is a place to maybe learn some prayers or memorize some prayers that you can use in your own prayer life. But if 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 your prayer life consists only of memorized prayer or or ritualistic prayer. It's very easy to get stale and dry. And we need to learn to pray to God with fervor and passion, you know, talking to Him as our Father, coming to Him with our needs, being transparent and real before Him. I mean, coming to God with fervency. And David models that. He's not just kind of repeating some nice little prayer. He is desperate for God. And when we get desperate for God, we will be fervent in our prayer. And I believe another reason that David is so fervent is because he expects God to answer. Look what he says there in verse 3. But know that the Lord is set apart for the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. David understands, hey, when I pray, God answers me. 
And I think that spurred him on to more fervency in prayer. I know he's going to answer. So I'm going to pray like I've never prayed before. And when we have that confidence, listen to me, that God answers prayer, our prayers will look more fervent, won't they? I think sometimes our, prayer, sometimes our prayers are weak and dry and stale because we really don't expect God to move in response to our prayers. But if we understood that God really does move in accordance to our prayers, He answers prayers, He, he accomplishes things according to our prayer lives, then we would pray with fervency. The Bible says that you, you have not because you ask not, right? And Jesus said, Ask and seek and knock because God wants to answer and He wants to come to you and He wants to open the door. Ask. A, a, a statement that changed my life this past summer. I was listening to Adrian Rogers preach on a podcast and Adrian Rogers said, the devil can't stop God from answering your prayers so he's going to try to stop you from asking. Isn't that profound? He can't stop you from answering. Think about that. The devil can't stop God from answering your prayers. So his strategy is going to try to get to, stop, to keep you from asking God for anything. But if we realize that God answers prayer and he moves in response to our prayer lives, we'll pray with fervency, won't we? And David had that confidence. And so we learn from David that there are different ways to address God. Prayer should be fervent. Here's the next thing. We should remember past answers to prayer when we pray. We should remember past answers to prayer when we pray. Look what it says there in verse 1. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. I love that phrase, don't you? O God of my righteousness. Anybody going to use that tomorrow? God of my righteousness? Somebody going to use it? Okay. Two of you, that's good. Okay. He says, you have given me relief when I was in distress. So here's what David's doing. He's praying about his present situation, but he's looking back at God's past faithfulness, which really fans into flame his prayer fervency because he expects God to move again. And I believe one of the great motivations to ongoing prayer is to look back at God's past mercies, to rehearse in your life the ways God has answered your prayers in the past, and it will fuel your faith. It really will. Maybe build some time into your prayer life where you're actually talking to God about past answers. Hey, Lord, I, I just remember today when uh, we had the, a financial need in our family, and, and we were, we were you know, pretty desperate, and we stopped, and we held hands together as a family, and we asked you to meet that need. And I'll never forget, God, how you dramatically the next day met that need or some unexpected way you met that need. I'm so grateful, Lord, that you answer our prayers. And, and, you, and you're remembering that past mercy. And in the present, your, your faith is getting stronger. And you want to ask God for more stuff. Because you know God draws near, and God answers prayers. And so learn to look back at all the ways God has I'm sitting back down. All right. All the ways God has answered. So here's the next thing. I'm trying to conserve my energy. Next thing. Uh, prayer should be personal. We learned this from David. Prayer should be personal. <laughs> the church I grew up in, the small Baptist church, great folks, most loving folks I've ever been around, love me. My family, where I heard the gospel. I was saved uh, at that church. And 
And I don't know about your background, but in my church growing up, we had about three or four folks that could really pray. And by really pray, I mean pray out loud in the public service. And by really pray in the public service, I mean they could pray in King James English. You know what I mean by that? They could throw out the these and thous and beseeches and these different words. And as, as, a, as a young guy, my thinking is, man, I can never pray like that. I mean, that's, man, they know how to use the language and it sounds so stately and so, you know, King James, I don't use the King James. Uh, I, I, I refer to it some and, and a lot of the verses that I memorized growing up were King James. So when I quote verses, you'll hear some thous and these or yees or something like that because I memorized those verses in King James. And it's a beautiful translation. There's something, you know, translated 1611. It's gone through a lot of revisions, but 1611 translated and it's beautiful, stately Elizabethan English is what it is, okay? Um, and I heard people pray like that. And it was beautiful. It really was beautiful to hear them pray like that. But, but here's the deal. Uh, I couldn't pray like that. But I thought that's what prayer was. But you pray in King James English. And you know, there's only two or three folks in your church who could pray like that, right? So everybody else is intimidated into prayer. Prayer, at its essence, all right, at its core, prayer is talking to God. Reverence, absolutely. Lord, God of my righteousness. Yes, reverence, awe. You remember you're talking to, over in Ecclesiastes, it talks about, about not rushing into conversation with God. Remembering you're in the presence of God. So yes, reverence and awe. But if we're really going to learn how to pray, we've got to learn to just talk to God about what's going on in our life. With honesty, transparency, every emotion that we have. One thing I love about the Psalms, and we'll talk a lot about this as we journey through, is that they're, they're, about every emotion you can experience is found in the Psalms. And, and the psalmists aren't trying to hide their emotions from God. They're being very real with God. And look what David says down in verse 7. You've put more joy in my heart than, when, than, than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I'll both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. He's talking, he's talking to God about going to bed. I mean, he's talking to God about his personal relationship, personal walk with God. And I believe that when we learn to just talk to God, I mean, to get real with Him and really share with Him what's going on in our life, that's when our prayer life will go to the next level. We quit trying to sound right, okay? And we come to the throne of grace to find mercy and help in times of need, Hebrews 4.12. When that begins to happen, that's when we'll really learn to pray and that's when we will learn to pray more than five minutes. Because we're not trying to sound good. We're talking to God about our life and about our needs and about our emotions, about what's going on. Prayer is personal. Maybe that's why Jesus said, Matthew 6, when you pray, go into your inner room, right, and shut the door behind you. Because if you're praying within earshot of anybody, you're not going to be honest and transparent with God. Amen? I'm not. If I know you're listening in the next room, I'm going to pray differently than if I were alone. Right? I don't, want you, I don't want you to know all my stuff. And I don't want to know all your stuff. All right? So Jesus said, hey, go into the inner room. Close the door behind you. Why? So you can be personal in your prayer. You can talk to God. So instead of just going through the, the motions of prayer, just repeating the same words, saying the same thing about the same thing about the same thing, learn to, to talk to God about your life. What's going on? What your needs are? How you're feeling about things. What you want to see God do in your loved ones. What, do you want, what you want to see God do in your church and in the world and in your community. Talk to God about it. 
Talk to them about the scripture you're reading, how, how the, the Bible spoke to you in, in, in your need and in your life. Talk to them about it. One of the things I do in prayer is I read my Bible first, and then I talk to God about what I just read. God, thank you for showing me this. Thank you for showing me that. And I talk to God about what I read. And so prayer should be personal. It's talking to God. An example of prayer. That's the first thing we learn from this psalm. A lot we can learn. And again, almost every time we study a psalm, I want to make a reference to how this can help your prayer life. Okay, We'll talk a lot about that. Now here's the second thing we can learn from Psalm 4. Second thing we can learn. There's some advice here to the ungodly. Advice to the ungodly. So if you're ungodly tonight, this is for you. Or if you want to know what ungodly people need to hear, this is for you that you can share with them. Advice to the ungodly. Several things that the ungodly need to hear. Number one, the ungodly need to hear this. Be very careful how you treat God's people. Be very careful how you treat God's people. Look what it says in verse 2. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Who's talking to men that were, were making a mockery of him. Uh, they were using malicious speech. They were seeking to destroy him. We don't know, again, what period in David's life this refers to because it's coupled with the third psalm. A lot of scholars believe it refers to Absalom's rebellion because they're put together. We don't know that for sure. Could refer to Absalom's rebellion. But David, most any part of his life, he had people chasing him, trying to kill him. And people who were malicious. And so he's speaking to ungodly folks here that are trying to destroy him. They're using their words. But here's the point he wants to make to the ungodly. He says, no, talking to them, but no, the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. In other words, he's saying, hey, be careful. Be careful. I am God's possession. I'm in his hands. He has set me apart for a special relationship. So be careful how you treat God's people. That's what he's saying in this text. In effect, David is asking his enemies, why do you continue in your lies? Don't you know that God looks after his own? That's what verse 2 and verse 3 are about. Why do you continue in your lies? Don't you know God looks after his own? And so the ungodly in our, in our lives, in our culture, they need to be reminded from Scripture that you ought to be very careful about mistreating God's people because God loves His people, Amen. And God is a. The Bible says in Ephesians, uh, Exodus uh, chapter fifteen that that God is a warrior. <laughs> you don't want to mess with that, do you? And so David's saying, "Hey, be careful how you treat me. I'm His possession. All right. He sets apart the godly man for Himself." And here's the second thing He wants to say to the ungodly: Turn from your evil. Turn from your evil. Look what he says there in verse 4. This is where we're going to spend a little bit of time digging into this phrase. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Selah. Be angry and do not sin. Now, that word, angry, could be translated two ways. One, it could be translated just like it is in the ESV. Be angry and do not sin. Another way it could be translated is tremble and do not sin. That's no way it can be translated. Tremble, and so the word could go either way. 
Now, this phrase is used over in the book of Ephesians. Remember over in Ephesians, he says, Ephesians 4, 25, somewhere in there. He says, be angry, do not sin, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Remember that phrase? Use that same phrase. Now, Paul could have been using the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, all right? Because the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, translated that word angry, not tremble. But David could be using the idea here of tremble before God and do not sin. He's saying, in other words, understand that you are accountable to God, the God of the universe, and that ought to get your attention. That one day, you will give account of your life to God. So you need to tremble before that reality and turn away from your sin. Because you are headed for destruction. You are headed for judgment. You need to turn away from your sin. That's a, a message for the ungodly. Which, by the way, is a message for everybody. Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? That's why the Bible tells us we need to repent. We need to turn from our sin to the Lord. And so here, he says, turn from evil. Here's the third piece of advice for the ungodly. Turn to God in worship. Turn from your sin to the one true God. Look what he says. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts. On your beds, be silent. Consider that you are accountable to God. You'll stand before him one day. Then he says in verse 5, Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. You know what he's talking about right there? Look at me for a moment. He's talking about salvation by faith. Turn from your sin and do what? Turn to God, go to Him, offering sacrifices, but not just going through the motions of sacrificing animals. Don't just go through the sacrificial system um, regulations thinking that's what saves you. He says there, offer sacrifices, but make sure that they're offered as an expression of your trust in God, your faith in looking forward to what God is going to do for you. I like how Peter Craigie says it. Sacrifices of righteousness or right sacrifices were those which were offered properly, not only in a ritual sense, but also in a spiritual sense. The one whose sacrifices were accompanied by, listen, by genuine repentance and true trust was returning to a proper relationship with God. For God was the one who could become a person's righteousness. So in effect, what he's saying here is, hey, turn from your sin and place your faith in the promises of God. And worship Him. This is salvation by faith. Because anyone that was saved in the Old Testament was saved just like you and I are saved. By faith in the work of, the redemptive work of the Lord. They were saved by looking forward to His redemptive work. We're saved by looking back to His redemptive work. Everybody got that? It's important. Uh, And so, David here is saying, turn to God in worship. And, And here's the last thing. Trust God with your life. Offer right sacrifices. Put your trust in the Lord. David's saying, listen, I'm surrounded by enemies, and I trust God. I have confidence in God. You need to put your trust in the Lord. Stop trying to destroy people. Turn away from your evil. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Trust God with your life. And so I love this psalm because there's some prayer um, insight here, and there's some advice for ungodly folks in this psalm. But then third and last, there's some insight on a good night's sleep. There's some sleeping advice. Don't you love that? That's how practical the Bible is. Insight on a good night's sleep. Now, the insight here is not um, 
doesn't deal with biological things like, you know, don't drink caffeine after, you know, two in the afternoon or don't exercise right before you go to bed or don't, you know, watch TV, you know, right before you go to bed, whatever the thing may be. There, there's some, some things out there that can help you biologically rest better, uh, and those are things we need to take heed of. But what he's talking about here are spiritual things, spiritual things that will help you to rest better. So I want to just give you some thoughts about how you and I can have a good night's sleep. That sound good? Number one, express dependence. Express dependence. Look what it says in verse 6. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. So David's saying, hey, the folks around me are saying, hey, where's God? We need his help. And David prays this here. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. This is probably a reference back to the prayer of Aaron over in Numbers chapter 6, where he talks about God lifting up his countenance upon us and giving us peace, praying that prayer over the people of Israel. And David's praying the same thing here. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. In other words, hey God, turn to us, attend to our needs, answer our prayers, help us out, draw near, we need you. That's what he's saying. He's expressing his dependence upon the Lord. And oftentimes, it can help you to rest better if you just remind yourself that you need help. Instead of laying there trying to figure it all out on your own, you say, God, I need you. And I promise you, spiritually speaking, that will help you to sleep better. Express dependence. And I love this. I love, as long as we're talking about sleep, I love how God has built dependence into the fabric of our lives. Because I don't care if you're an agnostic, a born-again Christian, a raging, God-hating atheist. Guess what? You still got to sleep at night, don't you? God built sleep into the fabric of our existence. And every night, when anyone goes to sleep, whether they want to say it or not, you know what they're saying? I'm weak, and my body needs to be recharged. God made us weak. Isn't that awesome? And, and, and just the fact that you have to go to sleep should remind you that you're a person that needs some help. And, and David here is saying, Lord, would you, would you cause your face to shine upon us? He's expressing his dependence. You know what Jesus said over in John 15, 5? Apart from me, you can do nothing. I don't know why I forget that simple truth, but there's so many times in my life I try to take life into my own hands and handle it myself, my own wisdom, and my own strength. When Jesus reminds me, the Bible reminds me that I need the light of his face to shine upon me or I am in big trouble. Express dependence. Number two, rejoice in your relationship with God. Rejoice in your relationship with God. Look what happens in the next verse. Verse 7. You've put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Speaking there of the harvest season, when uh, the people of Israel would bring in their their grape harvest, their grain harvest, they would have a big party, a big celebration. And, and, And David here is saying, you've given me more joy than those times of celebration. What are you saying? I have more joy in my relationship with you. Watch this, in the middle of distress than folks have when they're having a big party. And so here David is rejoicing in his relationship with God. Notice there he says, you've put more joy in my heart. Now listen to me. Is it possible to be in distress like David was and have joy? Is it possible? Absolutely. 
when you realize that no matter what comes your direction in life, you have a relationship with God. And here's the reality. If you have nothing, but you have God, you have everything. Everything you need. No matter what's happening in your life, if you've got the Lord, a relationship with Him, that's all you need. And if you have everything, but you don't have the Lord, you have nothing. I, you know what? I pity folks that are filthy rich that are far from God because they think they've got life figured out and they are so empty and living such a vain, fruitless life. We need to understand that no matter what's happening in our life, if we've got a relationship with God, we've got enough and we've got everything. And, and God will sustain us in the midst of that. So he's saying, I've got, even in the midst of my distress, I'm getting ready to go to bed and I've got joy in my heart. Because no matter how hard it gets, I know I'm yours. I have a, a personal relationship with God. Now think about that for a moment. If you're a Christian, if you're a born-again Christian in Christ, now think about this, you have a personal relationship with the God of the universe. The God that spoke and all of a sudden there were solar systems. The God that put the stars in their places and knows them all by name, the Bible says. You have a personal relationship with Him? Now you can call Him that God Father? And He cares about your prayers and your life? And he's promised to never leave you nor forsake you. And he invites you to come to him and cast your cares upon him. Are you kidding me? How awesome is that? Why do we ever wring our hands and worry when we've got a relationship with the God of the universe? So express your dependence and then just remember how incredible it is that you know God. Have that joy that comes from your relationship with him. They hope you to sleep better. Here's the next thing. Enjoy the peace of his protection. Enjoy the peace of his protection. Look what it says in verse 8. In peace, shalom. That's the Hebrew word. You've heard that word before. And shalom means more than just an absence of conflict. It means a wholeness. So he says, In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. God, I'm going to bed. going to sleep. And I know that my life is in your hands. And I know that, that you will keep me safe. You are my protector. And we said this last week, and I'll say this a lot as we journey through the Psalms. If you're a child of God, if you're a born-again Christian, listen to me. Nothing can touch your life unless God allows it. And if he allows it, he allows it for your good and his glory. Isn't that awesome? Nothing can touch your life unless God allows it. So we can sleep good at night, right? Nothing's going to touch our lives unless God allows it. And tomorrow's going to be the same thing. So we can rest well. J.M. Boyce says it like this. If we leave our problems with God, He will shoulder them. And He will enable us to sleep in peace. I like that. So when you go to bed, don't take your problems with you. Give them to the Lord. Amen? And I love how Spurgeon says it like no one else can. Spurgeon says... A quiet conscience is a good bedfellow. How many of our sleepless hours might be traced to our untrusting and disordered minds? They slumber sweetly whom faith rocks to sleep. I like that. They slumber sweetly whom faith rocks to sleep. No pillow so soft as a promise, 
No cover so warm as an assured interest in Christ. They sweet sleep sweetly, whom faith rocks to sleep. I love that. And so tonight, the coming days, when you find yourself in turmoil and distress, when you go to bed at night, listen, let faith rock you to sleep. Rest your head on your pillow, but also rest your life on the promises of God. And, and remember that He is in control and enjoy the peace of His protection. Nothing can touch your life unless God allows it. So there's a lot to learn from Psalm 4. And just kind of back to that, that prayer emphasis. Just If you're looking for something to pray, just pray through Psalm 4. Just take the words and, and, and use them to, to, to talk to God and, 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 and as, as a basis to begin to discuss things going on in your life with God. And you'll be surprised at how it will enrich your prayer life.